0: All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about it for a second. What is the biggest challenge that you face? The biggest thing going on in your life? And, and I'm not talking about sin in your life. You know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here and I would just want to pause. That we talked um, back, oh gosh, I want to say week three of this series, we talked about something. Uh, in the, the God is good, when we talked about the goodness of God, and, and the reason that we struggle with sin so much is because we have this fear of missing out on something awesome, and if we really believed that God was good, that we would trust his way, and we would let go of the things that we hold on to. So I'm not talking about that this morning. Let's put sin aside, and, and let's assume uh, that, that, I mean, you're not living a perfect life. We're all sinful, but that there's no unrepentant sin that you're wrestling with in your life right now. And let's look. What, what's the big thing that you struggle with? You know, it might be a relationship that you have that, that's not working the way that you want it to work. It might be falling apart a little bit or feeling like it's stuck. And, and it might be work, work that just is overwhelming and, and isn't happening the way that you want it to, to happen, right? I mean, it, it, there's pressure and it's intense. Uh, it might be financial. Maybe there's just financial burdens that you're facing that nobody besides you really knows about. Sometimes maybe even your spouse doesn't know. It might be family, aging parents. And if you're, if you're caring for aging parents, there's so much pressure there. Or maybe it's, it's your adult kids that you just can't seem to get through to. You can't get a handle on your health. Maybe it's just your, your, your attitude in general. But whatever it is, what's the, the biggest thing that you struggle with? One of the ways to know what, what's the biggest thing is, is if you got to say to God one time, okay, God, just take this away from me. What is it that if you could say that to God just one time, what is it he would take from you? And you know what? You plan, and you pray, and you work hard, and you strive, and and you hope in God, but there's a part of you, there's a part of you that deep down isn't sure that it's ever going to be right, isn't sure that you're ever going to really experience God's peace, that you're not going to get any rest. And so what we need to do is we need to deal with that thought, that and you know what? Sometimes it's not even a thought I have out loud. It's sometimes it's this subconscious thought. It's this feeling that, that it's always going to be like this. But what if? What if we could trust that God was infinitely wise and that God knew I wonder if that would change the way we process, if it would change the kind of peace we feel even when things are out of control. In fact, let's look at this. Um, What comes into your mind when you think about God, frankly, is the most important thing about you. That's the thesis for our whole series here. You know, I I got thrown for a second there because you see this page that says notes. That's for me, not you. I gave you the wrong PowerPoint. So (laughs) whatever. so I'll try to skip those, because I normally don't like to read to you, because you can do that on your own. Anyway, uh, but, but the thesis for this whole series is, what comes into your mind when you think about God? It's the most important thing about you. And when we come to God's wisdom, what we're going to find is that if we really could trust the wisdom of God, that God knows everything, see, and I want you to track this, when we say, trusting the wisdom of God, that God knows everything, here's what I'm saying. God doesn't just know what will happen, God knows every potential possibility of what could happen. And and in the wisdom of God that he understands not just what is now or what is going to be tomorrow, like, yeah, we can wrap our head around that, but he knows every possible variation of what is today and what might be tomorrow. And it's that wisdom that we trust And we trust it because it's in conjunction with his goodness and his love and the way that he cares for us and his power to bring about all things. And so I want you to to track this with me. Um, How many of you have ever had the experience where you're driving down the road and you got a flat tire or you got left late and you couldn't get out of the house as soon as you want. You were really irritated about it. Or maybe you even got pulled over for a speeding ticket. Or maybe even had a minor accident. And then you get back on the road, you, you, get, you get things resolved, you, you get moving down, and you move further down the road, and there's a much larger accident. Or you hear about, like, well, I, you know, I, I, I didn't leave the house in time, and I'm driving by, and I'm mad, but all of a sudden, there's this grand accident that happened. I was talking to somebody, there was a, a terrible, tragic accident uh, out by 150, uh, on a day that was really foggy just a couple of months ago I was talking to somebody that morning or actually later that day But they were talking about that morning that that's the way that they wanted to go and and that they were they were running late Though and nothing worked right and, and it was just everything felt bad It was all this pressure And they couldn't get out the door and then the car wouldn't work quite the way they wanted No, oh, yeah, wait, I didn't fill up with gas and they had to stop to do that and then then on the way to work they found out they couldn't get through because there'd been this grand accident and that was terrible and tragic and they had to go back and they had to go around and, and they had to get to work a different way. But then it's starting the processing and, and this person asks and, and they wonder and they want to know like, well, is it possible that my rough morning saved me from being a part of that accident? And, and the answer, of course, is I, I don't know. But is it possible in the wisdom of God that sometimes things happen and we look around and we say, why does this have to happen, God? But in God's wisdom, this has to happen because as somebody who knows not just what will be, but every possibility of what could be, that he allows things for our good. So the question is, if we really trusted that God was wise, would that change the way that we feel as we move forward? Would it do something? Okay? And so what we're going to do is we're going to explore God's wisdom today, and we're going to see if we can understand God's wisdom and what it means, and we'll start with this. I can tell you what it's not. God's wisdom does not mean that he's smarter than you. I mean, yes, God is smarter than you. Um, that's not even a comparison, okay? It's not a shot at you either. You might be very smart, but, but God is wiser, Okay. His wisdom, though, isn't about how smart he is. His wisdom isn't even that he knows a lot of stuff. I mean, all those questions that we have that burn, what, what's the purpose? Why are we here? How did this start? What's, all those, God has the answer to all of those questions, but that's not even what makes God infinitely wise. What makes God wise is his character. The wisdom from above, the wisdom from God, is first of all pure, It's also peace-loving and gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. Okay, the wisdom of God is pure. It's holy. The wisdom of God is full of mercy and grace. The wisdom of God has no hypocrisy in it. The wisdom of God knows all things. And why this is so critical for us is because think about it. The wisdom of God is rooted in his understanding and his experience and his knowledge. If you go to someone for counsel, when you go to someone for advice, who do you seek out? You seek out someone that has wisdom. You seek out someone, and you know they have wisdom because they have knowledge and they have experience. You know what? You trust their judgment, you trust their recommendation. If you, if you want to talk to somebody about financial difficulties that you're in, you go to somebody who has knowledge, right? Who has, um, who has experience dealing well with financial things. You know who you're not going to talk to? This guy. You want to, you want to talk to somebody. You want help figuring out how to, how to raise your kids in an environment where, man, they go to school and they hear from their friends and, and they're in this culture where they're going to be told all kinds of things that are contrary to what you want them to believe and know about who they are, about who God is and what their purpose is, you're going you're gonna to get wise counsel from people who have been there, done that. You know who you're not going to sit down and talk to? is somebody who never had children. They might have a lot of good things to say, but that's not where I'm going for my counsel. You know what, the the goofiest job I ever had? I ran a a day treatment program for elementary-aged kids into middle school just a little bit, kids that had severe uh, emotional behavioral disorders. This is one step out of residential treatment. I had that job, and and then I, I took this job working in this day treatment program, and one of my jobs was every Wednesday night, I would run parent support group where I would sit around a big table with maybe 15 to 20 parents of the kids that were in my program, and I would talk to them about how to parent their children. I was 24. I wasn't married, and I had no children. And I was confused as to why they thought that was weird. But here's the thing, when you seek counsel... You seek counsel from people that are knowledgeable and have experience. And God has knowledge not just of what is going to be, but every potential possibility of what could be. This is the wisdom of God. And so what that means is this. What that means is this, and, and this, is, this is why it's important for you to understand this. Charles Ryrie says it this way. The wisdom of God is the attribute by which God brings about, and attract this, the best possible ends by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. That's the wisdom of God. The fact that God, knowing all things, knowing every potential outcome, will bring about the best possible ends, the best possible result, in the best possible way for the most possible people for the longest possible time, that's the wisdom of God. And we understand that. When, when we get that, we, we, we start to, to track through this a little bit. We get to know that if I really believed that, then it might change the way I think about problems that I have in my life. Because here's the thing. If there were a better kinder, gentler way for God to do what he wanted to do in and through my life, then guess what? That's what I'd be experiencing right now. See, I love how these attributes come together because in the goodness of God, talked about that several weeks ago, and then Vince talked about the sovereignty of God, God's ability to, to bring all things together, the goodness of God that God wants good for us, that God's desire is good for us, and then the sovereignty of God, that God will bring about what he wants to bring. You will not frustrate the plans of God. God ultimately will have his way. Doesn't take away your responsibility, but God will ultimately have his way. And and then we get to this idea that, that God has all this wisdom, and we put it all together, and we see that God, in his wisdom, will bring about the best possible outcome in the best possible way for the most possible people for the longest possible time thinking eternally here. Which means that if God could do something in your life in a kinder, gentler, better way, he would be doing it. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not talking about sin in your life. If there's sin in your life, I had this conversation with, with Riley just yesterday, talking, talking to our, our oldest daughter just yesterday, and, and, and you know what? Riley is, is striving to live a holy life and it's not always easy, and sure, she makes mistakes, but she's striving, she's working. There is no unrepentant sin in her life, and yet still sometimes the pressure is so much, you know, like you know, trying to do ministry as a, 20, a single 25-year-old uh, woman and trying to figure out what the financial pressures of having multiple part-time jobs instead of full-time employment and having just moved here after living in Nevada for, for several years, the, there's no real relationship. She's never lived in North Liberty or Iowa City before, and she's been there Not even six months yet, just four months now. And just the pressure of, I'm not sure it's good. I'm not sure it's right. It's not what I want. But being able to have this conversation says, Riley, you know what? Here's what I know for sure. Because it's not discipline, God isn't disciplining you for sin right now. What's happening, even though it feels overwhelming, even though it feels burdensome, even though there feels pressure and you're not sure you're ever going to find peace, here's what I know for sure. If there was a kinder, gentler, better way for God to do what he wants to do in your life, that's where you'd be. And so it's okay. The wisdom of God tells us that we can trust even when it's hard. Okay? And so we understand this. And and, and one of the things that we have to know as we move through here is that the wisdom of God is a mystery. Wisdom of God's a mystery. You're like, okay, man, I get that. I get that if there were a kinder, gentler, better way, I get that God's doing the best possible things for the most possible people at the, at the best possible time. I, I, I get all of that. I understand it. But why is it so hard? Why is it difficult? What's the, what's the problem? How is it true? And, and you know this. We've talked about this before. You know what that is? It's the wrong side of a cross stitch. See, now here's what's fun. We, we actually, I had a pastor, Byron Hand. Byron always used to talk, first guy I ever heard talk about um, things that feel wrong in the realm of God, okay? Things that feel wrong. He's the first guy I ever talked about this. Certainly not the only guy that ever talked about this. Chip Ingram talks about it in his book, uh, The Real God. It actually came up in our small group last week. Somebody brought this point up, and, but it fits here, right? See, what happens, because The wisdom of God is a mystery, and and we know, on one hand, we have the intellectual understanding that says God knows all potential outcomes. He knows everything, okay? God is working always to bring about the best possible result in the best possible way for the most possible people for the longest possible time. And so if there were a better, kinder, gentler way for me to get where God wants me to be, I would be on that path right now, and I'm not, and I don't get it. And you know what, I deal with people in my office all the time that say, you know what, I I just can't believe in God because a good God wouldn't allow this. And so they, they step away from that because they fail to understand, though, that a wise God knows eternal steps far ahead. And they're rooted in this moment right now. A wise God knows every potential possible outcome, not just what happens next. And so a wise God allows and does things that are contrary to human reasoning, but that makes sense from an eternal perspective to bring about the best possible good in the best possible way for the most possible people for the longest possible time. And it's like this cross stitch. You look at it from behind and it looks like there's no pattern, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. But you know as well as I do when you flip that over and make something beautiful. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, good, Matt, you've got a slide that shows us the, what it looks like on the other side. And right now is the first time I'm having the thought I should have put that in there. <laughs> but trust me when I tell you that it's gorgeous. Sometimes you have one of those weeks with your PowerPoint, that's all I'm saying, it is what it is. Yeah, those, those of you that have a little OCD are going to have a hard time moving on. <laughs> Ryan, stay with me. We're going to be okay. But here, here, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to think, Chip Ingram gives this example in his book, and this is, this is a terrible example, but we're going to share it. We're going to go over it here a little bit. It's a it's a moral what if story that you've probably heard before, but we're gonna we're gonna do this intellectual exercise. And so, uh, picture rural community, hilly area, tracks going, uh, and and there's a little house up on the hill, and down by the tracks there's this little um, little shack. It's a switching station, you know, where the train comes in and. Um, guy, you know, hears the horn, comes on down, and, and and we'll switch the train so that the track shifts, and it goes whichever way it needs to go, and um, one day, the, the gentleman that that runs that is, is down, and he's switched the train, um, and it's coming through, and and. and, and the speed is good. You know, you, when, when you switch, you, you have to have the right speed. Otherwise, when you, you shift it, it has to happen soon enough, and has to, the train has to slow down. If it doesn't, then, of course, it'll, it'll tip. Um, and there's a passenger train coming through. And, and, of course, some of you know this. You know exactly how this works. Uh, the man is there, and, and it's all ready to go. And at the last minute, his, his son comes down the hill to say Hello and he's down by the tracks, and of course the, the, the man is in the booth yelling at him to, to move, to get off the track to leave, um, but his foot gets stuck, and he can't get out, and the train is coming, and it's too late to safely switch the train. If, if he switches the train now, the train derails, hundreds of people will suffer, maybe die, because it will tip over. And, and, and we have this, this question now that, that the man faces. It's, do I, do I shift the train and allow hundreds of people to suffer, to die, or do I allow the train to hit my son, killing him, but saving everyone else. And, and it's this dilemma. And we, we, we throw this out there as this, let's have a moral conversation about what's right and wrong. And you know, you're, you're probably already thinking, but what would I do in that scenario? And, and how, would I, how would I manage that? And some of you are like, no way, man, my son is my son and there's nothing I can do. I have to. And some of you are thinking more, uh, trying to be more altruistic. And you're thinking, yeah, yeah, but my son's life isn't worth more than anybody else, as much less 300 others. And so you make this decision and we, and we wrestle with this. And, 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 but let me ask you, What's the wisest thing? Not, not what's moral. What's wise and what's right? And I'd suggest that you don't know. That there's no way for you to know what's wise. What if, what if that boy stuck on the track is the next Billy Graham? And leads millions to eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. Is that worth 300? What if he cures cancer? What if he doesn't? Okay, now it's a mental exercise that kind of ends at this point, but the question here, the thing that I want you to wrestle with, is that God is the only one that knows what's wise. And we sit back and we use our best human reasoning to say, well, here's what we think God should have done. Here's what we think God should have done. And we get mad at God. Listen, if, you, if you're going to sit here and tell me that you haven't been mad at God, I ain't buying it. We get mad at God. And you know what? That's okay because God can handle our anger. Carrie was having a conversation with somebody the other day. Listen, we can get angry at God. Read through the Psalms. You read through the Psalms. People are mad at God all the time. Okay, God handles it. Okay, that's a human emotion that we're allowed, and we can process through that with God. But, but we get angry at God because we don't understand how he brings things about or how he allows certain things. I, I've talked to people, people in my family that are like, you know, I can't believe in God because a good God would never allow that, would never allow that to happen. But here's what I'm gonna suggest. We only know what might happen next. God knows definitively every potential end Every potential possible thing. Not just what's real, but what's possible. He understands it all. And so we look at this, and it looks like a mess. But at some point in time, here's what I'm going to say to you. At some point in time, you're going to get to see it from the right perspective. It's just not now. There is a moment in time, Christian, okay, I'm talking to you, Christian, on on the other side of eternity, when you meet Jesus face-to-face and you have the mind of Christ, okay, there is a time when this will make sense to you. When you look at that and it makes sense, it's not now so many of us, what happens because we don't trust the wisdom of God, we don't understand the wisdom of God. We think the wisdom of God is a lot like our wisdom. It's nothing like our wisdom. What happens is we, we, we get disillusioned because to us, in our best reasoning, it looks like this. And so one of the things we do as well-meaning Christians, what do we tell people when there's a tragedy? everything happens for a reason. That's what we tell them. I I mean, I'm guilty of that. Everything happens for a reason. How helpful is that? You know, at some point in time, everything happens for a reason. It's trite. You know what we do instead of telling somebody that everything happens for a reason? We just grieve together. Like, why did my child die? Well, everything happens for a reason. Buck up. No. We just grieve together. Why is cancer back again? What does God want for me? Why is this so hard? What's it? Oh, well, you know what? Everything's going to work out. In the, no, 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 you know what? Let's just, let's just grieve together. I mean, we, we try to fix these things. But ultimately, what we need to do is we just need to understand that the wisdom of God will get us to a point someday where it will all make sense. Until then, we grieve. We struggle. We get frustrated. We get angry. And we have hope. My challenge to you is is I wonder if you really understood the wisdom of God how much different you might be able to process some things in your life, okay? And so we need to do that. We need to understand. And so what we're going to do is we're going to skip ahead and we're going to look at. Here's the thing. There, there. Wait. Sorry about that. That's um, bush league. That's terrible. Um, we're going to look at three ways that God reveals His wisdom to us, and they're not they're not complicated ways. We've talked about these before, but three ways God reveals His wisdom to us. First is through creation. Now, we've talked about this, uh, uh, week two of this series, when we talked about the self-existence of God, okay, that God alone creates, that God alone exists apart from creation, that God is in a separate category. You have the category of an uncreated being, which is God alone, and then in the other category, you have everything else, because everything else has been created. But we see God's wisdom through creation. Look at Psalm 19.1. Uh, the heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. It's just this brief statement to say that the wisdom of God is seen in the act of creation. Go ahead and jot down on your notes somewhere, the margin of your Bible, somewhere on your paper, Psalm 104, okay? And, and it's a lengthy psalm, and I'll encourage you to read it later, but as you read Psalm 104 later, you can read Psalm 104 with this picture in your mind of God's wisdom being displayed through creation. Okay? But just get this for now. Just understand this, that the universe is fine-tuned for life. Things that don't just happen by accident. Track this. You know that Jupiter is so big that it has this intense, huge gravitational pull. So you know what happens in our solar system when big asteroids and meteorites go by Jupiter? Well before they get to Earth, you know what happens? They get sucked to the planet and they never get here. You're like, wow, that's really convenient. Sure. It is really convenient. Or it's, it's the wisdom of God. The moon, this weird thing, it's pretty at night sometimes. You know, that the moon creates, and again, there's no, there's no scientific mind that will argue this point with you. The argument will come, and either we say, oh, well, that's really convenient, or wow, God is infinitely wise. But you know, the moon creates just enough of a pole that it tilts the Earth so that it spins correctly, so that half of the Earth is not uninhabitably hot, and the other half is not uninhabitably cold. But because of the because of the moon and the pole and the tilt just a little bit and the spinning on its axis, that what happens is that we have seasons. That it's different. Think about the wisdom of a single cell encoded with something called DNA for life that splits and grows and splits and grows in accordance with that DNA coding and then at a certain point creates a skeletal system and then at another point creates a circulatory system and a nervous system along the way until we have this healthy, baby. It's the wisdom of God found through creation. It's The challenge, when you see that, it's God's wisdom coming through. Wisdom of God is revealed through providence, right? The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and he thwarts all of their schemes. The wisdom of God is seen in the fact that things will happen the way that God intends them to happen. God's plan for the world, God's plan for the nations are going to happen the way that he has intended them to happen. There was a point in time, we can see this so clearly with the nation of Israel. There's a point in time when God calls Abram. We know him as Abraham. God calls him and says, I'm going to create you to be this nation. And he, and he chooses them to be his creation. And he tells them all kinds of things are going to happen for them. And because they're God's chosen people, don't, don't be confused about this. Throughout the history of the world, the history of the Old Testament, okay, the history of the intertestamental period, the history of the New Testament, and then post that, just through the rest of history, we see that the rest of the world is bent on destroying Israel. It happens time and time again through history, where people, nations, individuals rise up against Israel, against the Jews. Why? Well, because they're God's chosen people. In fact, just 80 years ago, 80 years ago, when the Jews were almost exterminated. But individual hate, individual plans, individual things, nations' plans, war, none of that thwarts God. We see his wisdom through his providence. Okay. About 70 years ago, though, Israel, who, who is, is under attack all throughout history, almost annihilated, though we see in 1948 becomes its own nation again. How does that work if apart from the providence of God? The Lord frustrates the plans of nations and thwarts all of their schemes. We see his wisdom shine so clearly through these things. And you know what? The, the idea there is... that nobody can thwart God's wisdom and his plan for you either. you got to lean in and trust. We keep going. The wisdom of God is revealed through redemption. You ever had something bad happen to you? And then later on you realized it was actually a good thing? If you haven't had that experience, you will at some point, but if you have, think of that in your head. You had something bad happen to you, and then you realized, after a time, that it was actually something good. Usually, the, the, the easiest example of this is breaking up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I miss the easiest example. You break up with a girlfriend or boyfriend, because you're 18, and you're pretty sure this is the person that you're going to marry okay? And then you break up with that person. Something happens, and it feels awful, and it feels bad. But then later on, you meet someone else, and you get married, and it's great, and you can't possibly imagine your life with that person back there anymore. It just doesn't make sense. That's the easy example. But, but we have all of these examples where we, where we, we understand that, that what happened, it hurt, but God redeems it. He does something good through it. He makes it right. God is in the business of redemption, and his wisdom shines through in the fact that Romans 8.28 says this, that he will not cause wrong things to happen, but he will utilize them for good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. God is not going to cause tragedy, but you know what God's going to do? God is going to use those things, and we see redemption happen through those. Who remembers the tsunami that happened in Indonesia? Tsunami that happened in Indonesia was tragic. It was a byproduct of living in a fallen, broken world with weather that is goofy that was never intended to be that way, but the earth is broken, and we had this tragic tsunami, tidal waves, hurricanes, all of this massive loss of life happened in Indonesia. But you know what happened, how God redeemed that? It's a place where Christians were not allowed to be. All of the sudden, so desperate for help, that Christian mission agencies all of a sudden could come to a part of the world that had been closed to them and could minister to the physical needs of the people, all the while sharing the gospel, bringing the church to a place that had been closed to the church for a long, long time. Why? Because God took something that happened that didn't make sense and he used it for something good. He redeemed it. God shows his wisdom through redemption. Nothing is ever, get, get this, listen to me. Nothing is ever wasted with God. Nothing. You know how hard it is right now? And again, I'm not, I'm not talking about sin. Look, you, you're stuck in a life of sin. Repent. And, and I, I wonder if you won't realize how much easier life gets when you Repent not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about just when when things go wrong in the world, and we're like, uh, just it feels so wrong, and it feels like God could never be in control if these things are going wrong, and everything is bad, and this is happening. But you know what? And you're in the middle of that. Stop. Relax. Have peace. Because there's a promise in Scripture that God will redeem it, and God will do something with it. And if it feels tragic, and if it feels awful to you, then know this, take this truth to heart. If there were a kinder, gentler, better way for you to get where God wanted you to be, that's the path you would be on. Here we see that God shows his wisdom through redemption, and the ultimate redemption is through the person of Jesus Christ. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1.30, the first part of that says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. And the text goes on in the next few verses to say that God made him to be wisdom itself. And now that you have been renewed or redeemed by Jesus, the Holy Spirit now lives in you. That is the absolute Spirit of God. The wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Because God is in the business of redemption. When you trust and follow Jesus, something happens and you are made new. And the wisdom of God, the Holy Spirit of God, lives inside of you. And we are called to live wisely. See, as Christians, you're called to live wisely because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Here's what it says. Oh, that's my notes again. Here's what it says in Ephesians five fifteen. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. like those who are wise be careful how you live don't live like fools fools in this context is not like um, silly people okay fools in this context are people that shun the wisdom of god fools in this context are people who who run after something wrong fools in this context are people that believe the lie that everything is random that everything is chance that god has no control Fools in this context are people who say, you know what, God, because of what happened to me, I want nothing to do with you. Fools in this context are those that say, you know what, life is too hard. I'm going to walk away from my family. It's too difficult. You know what? My marriage is too hard. I'm walking away from my marriage. Church is too complicated. I just, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. Fools in this context are people that that take what they see and they act on it without trusting the wisdom of God for their future. And Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but be wise. Live like those who are wise. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Live like those that are wise. That's the admonishment. And when you live like someone that's wise, it changes everything. So last thing here. Okay, we got three real quick things about how do you get that wisdom. Here's what I need you to know about this wisdom. How do you get it? It's a three step process and you're never finished. It's a three step process that you never get done with. It's three things that happen in conjunction with the, it shouldn't it should be like like one, 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 because they all happen together. Right? This is what I need you to know. Here, here's how you grow. Here's how you, you gain wisdom. One is you fear the Lord. You fear the Lord. Proverbs 1, seven says this, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you want to act foolish, then ignore what God says. If you want to be wise, then fear the Lord. And I say fear the Lord, and some of you hate that. Some of you are quick to correct me. No, 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 that just means reverence and respect. Sure. Okay. Have reverence and respect for God. But you know what? Chip Ingram says it this way, and I think it's so true. It's like, you're going to fear somebody. Everybody fears somebody. Everybody fears something. How about we fear the Lord? Fear the Lord means, you know what? I know better. I am afraid to contradict what he says. I'm afraid to step out on what God says because I know better. You want wisdom? Fear the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Make a decision. See, this is why it's step one. This is why it happens first, because if you want wisdom, then what you have to do is you have to make a decision that you are going to fear and follow the Lord. The reason you make that decision first is because what you find out in step two may not be what you thought it was. It may not be what you're excited about. It may not be something that you want to do, right? That's why you don't start there. You start here. You make the decision that I want wisdom. I want, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to live like a fool. I want to live like those that are wise. So I make decision that I'm going to fear the Lord because that is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. And that is the key for my life as a Christian. And that's what I'm going to do. when I make that decision first, because here's what you do next. You search his word, That should say 2 Timothy. Man. You ever have one of those weeks? I didn't know I had one, but apparently I did. (laughs) I'll do better. You deserve better. I'm sorry about that. Okay? But that should be James. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy. Uh, Not not, uh, not James, but certainly not Proverbs. That should be 2 Timothy. But here's what it says. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. See, you want wisdom, first I decide I will fear the Lord and I will follow the Lord. Then I figure out what he wants me to do. Because when I search the word, oftentimes it's going to tell you that you are wrong. It's going to tell you that what you thought you knew was wrong. It's going to tell you that what you thought your heart desired was wrong. See, a lot of times what we do is we go to the Word, we see what it says, and we say, well, I like this part. This part is great. Oh, this thing about love is awesome. This thing about how I spend my money, that part's terrible, and I rip it out and I throw it away. This thing about sexuality, nope, don't want anything to do with that. This thing about forgiveness is pretty cool. Uh, this thing about forgiving other people, that kind of stinks. And so we, we kind of, we wrap this up and, and we get this and, and we, we kind of decide that I'm going to follow the Lord as long as I like what it says. That's why I start with this idea. No, 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 no. Fear of the Lord. That's the foundation. Then what happens when I go to the word is I've already committed in my heart. I've already committed in my heart that I'm going to fear the Lord and I'm going to follow His ways. And when I get here, I have no choice. If I'm going to be true to this, if I'm going to be true to fearing the Lord, I have no choice as I work through this, but to respond to it. You know what? Listen, you're young here. Okay, You're, you're, you're in your teens or, or, or your early 20s or something like that. Look at this. You commit to fearing the Lord. And then you search his word. It changes things. It changes things for all of us, but I'm specifically thinking about this. You know what this does? This changes the kind of mate you're looking for. Men, this changes the kind of girl you want. Ladies, this this, this changes the kind of guy you're looking for. You know what? You know what else it changes? It, it changes when you read through this. And you said, okay, I'm gonna fear the Lord because that's the foundation of wisdom, and that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fear the Lord and follow the Lord. And then I read this, you know what that does? Oh man, that changes the way I look at my checkbook. I keep saying checkbook. Do people still have checkbooks? (laughs) Changes the way I use my bank card. Changes what I do with my income. Changes the way I view giving. All of a sudden, giving isn't me being nice, giving is me being obedient. Because fear of the Lord is the foundation of understanding. And I read, that's what I'm supposed to do to be generous and cheerful uh, because it's not mine anyway. Okay, that's what I have to do. Fear of the Lord is the foundation. I study the scriptures, I study the word, I let it change me. And then finally we get to this last thing in James 1 5. We ask. You know why we ask? We ask for wisdom. We ask for wisdom because life is hard. It says if you need wisdom, ask in our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Of course he won't rebuke you for asking unless you keep going in James 1, 6, and 7 and it says, but when you ask, ask expecting an answer. And it doesn't mean ask for wisdom, expecting God to give you the answer. What it means is ask expecting to follow what he says. Because when God gives you wisdom and you refuse to act on it, you're acting like a fool. I mean, it's as simple as I can can lay it out for you. When you ask God for wisdom, God, fear the Lord is the foundation of knowledge and wisdom, and so I am submitting to you, and I read through the words, and I'm saying, God, help me understand, help me understand, help me understand. And God says, okay, you know what? Here's what you do. Do it now. Do it today. Don't wait. And I'm like, ooh. <sighs> Anything else, God? Anything else? Not that thing. Right? I mean, let's, let's just be like, like not that thing. Like I really like my money. You know what? I really, really, really like having sex. I really, really, really like Porn. Right? I really, really, really think alcohol is okay and marijuana is not that big of a deal. Right? You're like, so, so I put myself under you, God, and I study the word and I say, God, give me wisdom, help me live this life. But not that thing. It doesn't work. And it's a wrong understanding of the character of God. That's the praise team to come up. Prepare to close the service, and and here's the thing I'm going to remind you of. Here's the thing I'm going to remind you of, okay? Here's the steps. Wherever you are in your life, ruthlessly cut out sin. Why is it necessary to ruthlessly cut out sin? It's necessary to ruthlessly cut out sin because once you have repented of your sinfulness and you are striving to live a life that pleases God, see, here's the thing. You can't tell me that you're striving to live a life that pleases God if you're rooted in blatant sin, Right? You could say, but, but nine times out of ten, I'm, I'm trying to please God. But this one, no, no, no. That's where we talked about the goodness of God. If you're struggling with that, go back and listen to that sermon again about the goodness of God and the fear of missing out and why a good understanding of God's goodness will help us as we move forward, trying to say no to ungodliness and saying yes to godliness because we can trust that saying yes to God isn't actually going to make us miss anything. It's going to get us something because God is so good. Right, But when you ruthlessly cut sin out of your life, then you can have confidence. See, this is the great thing about it. When you cut sin out of your life, it doesn't mean you won't struggle, but I'm talking about blatant, unrepentant sin. When that's gone, it gives you confidence that where you are now and the struggles that you're going through, that God is for you. Because if there were a gentler, kinder, better way for God to do what he needs to do in and through you, that is where you would be. So as we sing today, do whatever you need to do with God. If If you need to repent of blatant sin, do it now. If you need to commit to God, I am going to sit under you. I'm going to respect and fear the Lord, and that means I'm going to follow. Make that decision today. If there's specific things, fine. Maybe this is where you're at. Maybe you're doing all that and you just need to start to trust God that where you're at is good and where you're at is okay. And yeah, it's hard and yes, it's stressful, but that you can have peace in the middle of this because you know that God is for you and that God is wise. And if God has you here, that's okay. That's how we ended the conversation with Riley yesterday. It's like, Riley, I am sure of it. I am sure that this is part of what God has for you. Because if there were a kinder, gentler, better way for you to be the person and and, and the minister of God and, 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 and doing things in ministry and loving people and encouraging people and helping people, especially the kids and the youth that she has a heart for, if there was a better way for you to get there, God would have you there. But he has you here. And so you can have peace even when it's hard because you can trust that God knows what he's doing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. You are good and gracious and kind, and we can't thank you enough for being a God um, that loves us in spite of us, a God that is so wise that you know not just what is happening or what will happen, but you know every possibility, and we can trust you God, we thank you for that truth, and we thank you for your son. We thank you for the fact that you loved us while we were sinners. We thank you that you, Father, have chased us down. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen.